This show was first broadcast on Access Radio Taranaki 104.4 FM, thanks to New Zealand On Air. I'm Pastor Dan Yazel, welcoming you to Grace Notes, an outreach of North Taranaki Methodist Parish. I invite you to sit back and relax, grab a cuppa, and listen. May God surprise us and bless us in this moment. Hello, and thank you for tuning in to Grace Notes. Today is the first Sunday after Easter. We'll be considering a passage from John, the familiar Doubting Thomas story. Now, Thomas is one of the lesser-known disciples, with the exception of being singled out and remembered as the one who doubted. I want to suggest that he had the courage to say what he needed, and it's amazing how God responds to him. Again, thank you for tuning in. Welcome to Grace Notes.
Our first reading comes from the book of Psalms. This is Psalm 150, the last of the Psalms. It is meant as a triumphant song as pilgrims would approach the Temple Mount after a long trek and voyage to be there. They would sing these words. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his surpassing greatness. Praise him with trumpet sound. Praise him with lute and harp. Praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and pipe. Praise him with clanging cymbals. Praise him with loud, clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Dona nobis pacem pacem. Dona nobis pacem. Testament text comes from John's Gospel. This is the story of Doubting Thomas. And at this point in our text, the disciples are all drawn together. They're hiding after the arrest and the crucifixion of Jesus. Now they've been spending their time behind locked doors and they're waiting for whatever may happen next. They too have been filled with fear and with doubt after the crucifixion until Jesus appeared to them. Now at this point, the others have seen Jesus, and they are elated. But let's listen, you and I. When it was evening, on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. 
If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We've seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of his side, I, I would not believe. A week later, his disciples were again in the house, and Thomas was with them. Even the doors were shut. Jesus came, stood among them, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, and see my hands. Reach out your hand, and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but they are written these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing you may have life in his name. Here ends our reading. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me, please? Dear God, we would pray grace upon grace and light to illumine our lives that the Spirit would open our eyes, help us to see your love that is always right before us, help us to hear and claim the message you'd have us know this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, how many times have you heard someone say, don't be such a doubting Thomas? And doesn't it always seem to come with this stern look? The kind of means, please stop asking questions and just take my word for it. Don't be such a doubting Thomas. To be a doubting Thomas in today's world is not a good thing. I think it means that one is unduly skeptical or you're kind of a killjoy. One might even say a royal sourpuss. Poor Thomas has been much maligned over the years? And how often do we fail to see the courage that he had to speak his doubts and the honesty that he had to state what he needed and then the amazing declaration that he makes when he does say, my Lord and my God. I'd like to look at his transformation and see in what ways our lives might be like Thomas's, and how we can learn from his actions, and how God's love through Jesus responds to us all. Now, my main point will be this. Jesus seeks to encounter us no matter where we are in our lives, no matter where we are on our journey of faith, 
in spite of all of our questions and our doubts. He longs for us to find our own faith and to discover him as our Lord and our God. Honest questions of faith, even open doubts, are not always indications of faithlessness, but they can be open doors for Christ to come through and meet us. Turning to the first part of today's passage, we read, But Thomas wasn't with them. Now it's not said where Thomas was, or nor is it explained why he wasn't with the others when Jesus first appeared. It may have been that Thomas was out doing errands or doing reconnaissance in the city. could be any number of things that had distracted him or kept him from being in the community of faith. I think about the Sunday church services that I've missed, only to have friends then tell me how great it was. You know, I should have been there because the pastor gave the best sermon of his life or the, or the choir finally sang all in tune. Or why wasn't I there? Well, sometimes there are times when we choose to be away. And it can be for any number of reasons. Now, perhaps some of them are better than others. But I think from what we know of Thomas, elsewhere in the Gospels, that perhaps his absence was something more than just bad timing. I think that Thomas was a much more inward disciple, that separating himself from the others might have been his way of dealing with Jesus' death. There's no doubt that Thomas loved Jesus. He was prepared to die with him in Jerusalem. The others wanted to flee, but Thomas was ready to set his face on Jerusalem and travel with Jesus. Most likely, Thomas was out grieving on his own choosing to turn inward to find answers for himself as to what had happened. And there are most certainly times in life where solitude can be refreshing and a way for us to restore ourselves. But there's difference, I think, a big difference between being at one with God and ourselves and being alone. Thomas may have said, and as he left to the others, I just want to be left alone for a while. I can take care of myself. And he was withdrawing and hiding with his pain. And in this way, Thomas reminds me of many stoic Scandinavians I knew in the Midwest of the United States. And I think there's a philosophy there. There's perhaps elsewhere, other places. That, you know, we ought to pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. And we shouldn't trouble anyone else with our problems. I think there's a whole way of life centered around, oh, I don't want to bother someone with my troubles. Many people don't want to be vulnerable with their troubles, or maybe they think that it can't really do any good to share them. It would just bring somebody else down if I told them what was going on. It does take a kind of courage to say, 
I can't come up with all the answers myself to be open and vulnerable with others. And so imagine feeling as Thomas did, feeling so low, and then to hear that Jesus is alive from his friends. That would sound like a cruel hoax, or or certainly it's too good to be true. They all shout, we've seen him. And Thomas says, I haven't. Thomas thought he knew how the story of Jesus ended. But now, Easter brings another ending. Easter changes everything. The others are moving on to an Easter faith. And Thomas, in this moment, still has pre-Easter eyes. He says, quite honestly, until I see, I cannot believe. Seeing is believing, or I'll believe it when I see it. Those are, at many times, good policies. But sometimes one must believe in order to see. I think that something, some thread of belief or some memory or hope brought Thomas back into the life of faith. For whatever reason, he had come back to join with the others in the upper room. He came back, and yet he is painfully honest. The others are trying to tell him, don't grieve, be happy, be glad, we've seen him. And he could have tried to accept their word. He could have tried to attach his hopes onto their experience and take only their story, but he couldn't do it. He couldn't do it and still be true to his faith. I cannot believe He says he could have joined the celebration and and withheld any lingering doubts or sort of banishing them to silence. But if he had, what would have become of him and his faith, surrounded by others telling him what sounded too good to be true for him in that moment? He then makes this bold statement of what he needed for him to believe. Now in Luke, as he tells this, uh, we see that others doubted Mary when Mary reported to them what she had seen, idle gossip. That's what the disciples all said to Mary. It wasn't until Jesus appeared to them that they believed. So at first, Thomas is asking for no more than what the others experienced, namely seeing Jesus. But then he goes further and he says, you know, I want to put my hand in the side that was wounded. I wanted to touch his hands where the nails were. Thomas says what he means, and he means what he says. He's not going to express a belief that he doesn't truly feel. I think each one of us also needs to have our own personal experiences, those things that we hold on to as part of and foundational to our faith. What kinds of evidence do we hold on to to supply as evidence for our faith, just even to ourselves? We speak with the greatest conviction, and I think we are most convincing to others when we share from our heart, when we speak of our own experiences, when we speak what we truly believe, and when we truly share the questions or or our fears in sharing these with others, 
that we're honest, and I think we become most whole. It's not a complete faith to hold ourselves just to the faith of our parents or our grandparents. We need to make faith our own in some way. Of course, we learn from the generations that have gone before, but we do need to make it our own. Someone else most certainly helps us by sharing their faith and by telling their story and saying, here's my experience, here are my doubts, and it's truly in community that we find the answers. Each one of us has our own individual relationship with God, and yet we are all members of the family of God. And it's truly blessed to be living together in peace, sharing peace with one another. And that it's there that we can remind each other and we can reassure each other of the truth that we know that sometimes we lose track of or we lose sight of when we're all alone. There are times when it may be not the right time. If someone's wondering, I'm not even sure God exists, that's okay. Just sit with people and say, ask questions, have doubts. I think there is more faith in an honest doubt that's seeking answers than just saying a, a rote reciting of a creed or, or you know, a statement that doesn't even think about the words that are being expressed. So asking a longing question from the heart can be a prayer and can be a doorway for God to come through. If we question, then there's a place. There's a moment that God can respond in. Sometimes you know, we can be so aware of God's presence that we too would cry out, my Lord, my God. Thomas's faith is very real to him, and it becomes alive as he's thinking about and wrestling with the questions, honest questions, and look what happens. Look how it happens. It's within a community of faith that Thomas finds his answers and he reclaims his place. Jesus does come by and says, okay, Thomas, go ahead, put your hand here. I think it's interesting that the text doesn't say that he did. I think he certainly could have. But maybe now he didn't have to actually stick his hand in the side. Now his doubt was washed away. He was back in the fellowship with those following Christ. He was in an honest place of crying out, my Lord and my God. He goes from the depths of doubt to a celebration of certainty. And it's a time of joy. Jesus responds to Thomas's pain and his aloneness with a word of peace. Peace be with you. Shalom. And notice that Jesus doesn't scold him or say, ye of little faith or anything like that. But rather he gives him a chance to have his questions answered. Go ahead. Put your hand in my side. Don't doubt anymore. Yeah, I don't know that he did. I don't think he needed to at that point. And the rest of Jesus' words are a blessing to us and to all those who would long to follow after him. We haven't seen the resurrected Christ, and yet we believe. And I think this belief is a blessing, and there will be times of doubt. There are going to be moments of uncertainty. 
but the message is clear. Stay within the circle of faith. Ask your questions. Look for answers. Trust that nothing can separate us from the love of God. If our hearts are seeking God, no question will distance God from us. What we're going to hear is God saying, peace be with you. Believe. May it be so for you and for me. Today and always, thanks be to God. Amen. So that's all for today. I hope you've caught a glimpse of grace through this time. You're invited to join us for worship and fellowship Sundays at 10 a.m. at New Plymouth Methodist Church, the corner of Weardit and Powderham Street. Until next week, God's grace and peace be with you. This show was made at Access Radio Taranaki in New Plymouth, thanks to New Zealand On Air. For more local content, search for accessradiotaranaki.com.